Welcome to Week in Horror. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. The podcast that deep dives all the films you love. Gotta be fucking kidding. The week they dropped in horror history. We all go a little mad sometimes. With your horror hosts. JL. When a shirtless Sam Elliott with no mustache takes out a, an alligator with a uh, with an oar, that's the kind of movie I'm looking for. Eugene. And we're just casually just like, yeah, so that's probably the best way to go, light someone on fire with gasoline. Alex. It would not be an original lineup if I didn't have fucking technical <laughs> Johnny O. Now, it's not an Amityville. Or wherever it's Amityville. And Aaron. They, they got manure to work with and nothing very from it. <laughs> News, trailers, trivia, special guests, and more. You're going to need a bigger boat. Live show every Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central at YouTube.com slash Week in Horror. Welcome to prime time, bitch! And wherever you listen to podcasts. One by one, we will take you. Week in Horror. <laughs> Stay scared. <laughs> welcome, welcome, horror fans. It is Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. That means it is time for another episode of the Week in Horror podcast. The only podcast officially sponsored by Cheddar Goblin Mac and Cheese by Devane. And if you, dear horror fanatic, are listening to us at the top of the week, remember, we do this live every Wednesday here on YouTube, and you can join us here in the live chat. Come hang out with us. This week, we are covering select horror films released December 11th through December 17th. Thank you all so much for joining us. Um, I am JL. Uh, good to see everybody. Yep, it is uh, It is just me tonight. It is a, a solo show. Um, apparently, there is a bug going around. Johnny, uh, Johnny O is... Is dealing with that. So, and um, uh, Aaron was going to be on the show tonight, and apparently he's not, he's feeling kind of poorly. So, there's something going around. And of course, Eugene is out there doing the, you know, the best Spielberg impression that he can, kicking ass on a film set somewhere. We're going to get more details as those come out. But, uh, but yeah, and I think Alex as well is dealing with sicko, sick kiddos. So, just me tonight. You just have me. So, I hope that doesn't, uh, Hope that doesn't drag it down. I know I've done a couple of, of solo shows before in the past, and I, I'm going to try and keep up the energy. Um, this is always really interesting to do solo shows here at Week in Horror. Um, but yeah, hopefully the, we, we have some fun tonight. We have some fun stuff that we're going to listen to, some stuff we're going to check out. And um, But yeah, that's pretty much it. So before we get started, let me go and throw up the banner. There is our Patreon banner, all of the amazing patrons who help us to make this show possible. We appreciate all y'all's support. And let me say hi to everybody here in the live chat before we get before we kick things off. Let me see here. Travis Brown is here. Good to see you, Travis Brown. Angel Rivera as well says, Happy Holidays, Ghouls and Gals. Good to see you. Thanks so much for being here. Wrote it no less name as well. Says, Happy dead, uh, Deadness Day. Good to see you, wrote it. Gabba Gabba to you. UKPI is in the house. Good to see you, UKPI. And let me see... Sonia Garlic is here. Good to see you, Sonia. Sarcasm as well. And Skits Crasher. Hello, hello. Denova28 is here. Says, hello, everyone. How are you? Doing good, sir. Doing good. Going to try and do the solo show tonight, so I'm, I'm kind of excited. It's always it's always iffy when you're doing a solo show, because you never know, because there's no one to bounce off of, so you just got to you gotta maintain the flow yourself. But, you know, it, it's a challenge, but, you know, it's always one I'm willing to... I'm willing to go after. Charlie Welch is lurking and gaming. Good to see you, Charlie. The only man on the internet you never make a bet with. Good to see you, Charlie Welch. Jay Verz is here. He says, wow, I joined right at the start. Well, welcome, Jay Verz. 
so many of our amazing patrons in the live chat tonight. Cindy Johnson is here. Good to see you, Cindy. So you by yourself tonight? I am. Unfortunately, unfortunately for y'all, I am by myself tonight. But we'll try. We'll try and make it a solid show, or I will try to make it a solid show. Luckily, I have all of you. Uh, Freight Edges is here. Says, "What up, you kinky people? Not much, Freight Edge. Just doing the thing." Tony Regime with obligatory ghosts. Thank you so much. Says, "Hello, Weekend Horror. Good to see you, Tony." Surf is here. Good to see you, Surf. Says, "Hey, hey. Thanks so much for being here." And I see who else. Travis Brown says, "A bug." You said, "Weekend Horror." Is it the Brundlefly? I hope it's not the Brundlefly. That'll definitely make for some interesting, uh, interesting, you know, tidbits to talk about next week if it is. Uh, let me see who else we got here. Leanne Richard, BQN is here. Says, howdy, friends. Waves furiously. Good to see you, Leanne. Thanks so much for hanging out tonight. And Christo Kiernium is here. Good to see you, Christo. Thanks for much. So, thanks so much for being here. Sir Cabin says, I'll pretend to be Johnny and hate on everything except two sisters. It's pretty impossible to hate on that particular movie. We do have some interesting selections tonight. And... You know, it's kind of a roller coaster as far as what we what we were going to talk about. Um, Leanne Richard says, "I didn't watch any horror this week. My family have some uh, some palliative care. We are on call for that. Well, I hope they're do. I hope they are doing okay. So, um, whatever you need to do, absolutely. But family, absolutely, very important. But good. Thank you for hanging out, Leanne. Appreciate that very very much. Surf says the back and forth discussion will be interesting. This is true. This is true. The back and forth will be interesting. We yeah, the back and forth with myself. So, but nonetheless." Uh, but we, uh, we, I've done it. We've done it before. We'll do it again as well, you know. And uh, it's always fun because you never know really what's going to happen just being here uh, solo. But let's see. First and foremost, I want to let everybody out there know. Um, everybody hanging out that if you uh, follow us on the socials, if you follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, or of course on Facebook, we have the Daily Splatter. Now the Daily Splatter has been going on since we started this show. Essentially, it's a daily post. Which is a film, which is a, literally a film that came out that day in horror history, or of course, uh, happy birthday to, to a horror icon or an in memoriam for someone who has passed. And this <laughs> gets scratches. I'm used to talking to myself. I, I kind of am, kind of am. I'm used to the sound of my own voice. Um, oh, I'm sorry to hear that Genovis has been having a shit week himself. Oh, I'm sorry, but well, at least at least we have this little bit of a reprieve for the next couple of hours. We can hang out and just kind of like have fun here. So if you follow us on the socials uh, and you get and you you watch the daily splatter, I appreciate everybody who sees that daily splatter and of course those that like and interacts with it because those interactions really really help as far as algorithms go. Um, and uh, there was apparently an issue with Twitter that uh, cropped up on the 16th of November. The 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 something happened in the back end and the daily splatter wasn't going through. So I what we do over here at Week in Horror is we schedule everything out via the Adobe Express scheduler and that sends everything out to all the various sites well apparently something was going on on the twitter end and those weren't going out they were scheduled but they weren't happening and i was fighting back and forth with adobe and twitter and they all wanted to point at each other and be like it's their fault we have no idea what's going on uh, some people were looking into it and but all of a sudden on december 1st bam they all started working again so from the, from the 16th to the to December 1st, Twitter was kind of down, but now it's back up. So if you follow us there, we appreciate all those interactions via um, via whatever your favorite social media uh, interaction is. Because uh, those daily splatters, I, I do them all like a month in advance. I'm currently working on January's, and I'll have those all pre-scheduled so that you can at least get a horror film recommendation every single day of the year. Man, I've been doing that. Doing that since 2019, since September of 2019 when we started this show. So, long time. <laughs> uh, Genova says, I noticed y'all have been spamming the Daily Splatter. Yeah, it goes out every single day. Every single day you get at least a movie, and sometimes there's a happy birthday or an in-memoriam. Uh, to just to, you know, just to 
let people know who are horror fans and be like, oh yeah, it's their birthday today, and or something of that of that uh, something of that uh, deal, or at least a recommendation, a film recommendation that you can go and watch and check out or put on your list if you're looking for more recommendations. Because I have because the Daily Splatter, like I said, what is it? I don't even know how many days that is since September of 2019. It's been going every single day, and, and Twitter and Instagram, or sorry, sorry, Facebook and Instagram, have pretty much run in, uninterrupted. So it's been like Facebook ever since you know September of 2019. Every single day we've had something go out. So, oh, there it is. There's plot holes. Says sorry, folks. Damn play going around here. That's all. It's all right. We got this. Leanne Rich says that would make a great journal to use again and again. Um, I want to talk to myself because I want an intelligent conversation. Yeah, that's right. Sarcasm. Very good. Um, let's see here. Yeah, pretty much just just Twitter. We just use it, the the. I know people have the issues with Twitter. They have issues with Facebook. They have issues with like Elon or Zuck, and and Instagram is connected to Facebook. And I I get that. I understand that. We just use it for marketing. So if you follow us there, and if you like the posts, or if at least you'll 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 be found out. It's pretty. You'll find out like like what uh, something cool that you probably didn't know existed that you could go and then you could watch. So that's pretty much all it is. But the Twitter functionality is back. For those who might have been curious or who didn't know, Twitter functionality is back. Uh, let's see. Other Okay, yes. The other thing, though, another big thing we have to do is that we have this month's bloodbath debate coming up. So because uh, Christmas falls pretty much on a weekend, and typically we do the bloodbath debate towards the end of the month, but the 24th and the 25th are Saturday and Sunday, <clears throat> so we bumped it up. So our bloodbath debate is going to be on the 17th and the 18th. And that's going to, going to be in between uh, Aaron and Angela. So Aaron and Angela are going to debate one another. And it's because it would have been Eugene, but Eugene's currently uh, out. So he's currently working. So it's going to be uh, Aaron versus Angela. And it will be the animals from your next versus the strangers from the strangers. So, <laughs> and uh, I'm supposed to do the, the, uh, the coin toss. We're supposed to do the coin toss. Uh, but unfortunately, um, see, because uh, if, if remember, so it's it's Aaron. Aaron won the last one because Aaron beat me, and Aaron's the one who's supposed to call it in the air, which one he wants. So I don't know what he wants to do. Like if he wants to, if he wants heads or tails, and I don't want to call for him. If Angela wins, I know what Angela wants. If she wins the coin toss, I know what she wants to pick. I just don't know what what Aaron wants. So uh, we, so if he happens to pop into the live chat. A little bit later and say hi then we might be able to do that but i have the coin here ready to go to determine um if he wants uh heads or tails and then we can figure out who's going to represent who come the next bloodbath debate all right so what's going on here so oh yeah so he says yeah plot, plot hole hope you're feeling better soon and unfortunately no, it would be the battle of the horse and that won't be the battle of the horse santas um surf says i call tails for reasons yeah because tails never fails Rodinella's name says the plot. Just remember, it's wrong to serve your kids frozen pizza rolls. You should heat them first. This is true. This is very, very true. And Travis Brown says you're welcome, and you can tell JL about the turd polishing of these films. I, okay, I can tell you one thing. I may it may sound like I'm turd polishing, but one of them, I'm. You can't. You 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 can't polish that turd. You just can't. You like at all. It, it, you just can't. Now, before we dive into tonight's selections. I wanted to show this because how could I not show this? Because this popped up in my feed and I saw it the other day when it first dropped and I've been waiting to, oh, actually I think it was like last, I think it was like, yeah, we didn't show it last week, but I, I had to show this because we have to. And 
based on true events that took place, or like loosely based on true events that took place back in 1980, we have to watch the trailer for Cocaine Bear. <laughs> oh, that is brilliant. Yes, the use of white lines in the soundtrack is is brilliant. Uh, that, that thing just cracks me. It cracks me up. Um, yeah, it's going to be kind of like... Uh, It'll play, probably be it, it's a horror film, but it's also a, it's a horror comedy, black comedy in that respect. But that looks amazing as hell. Not to mention the cast that's in it. It's just like wow to assemble that that uh, <laughs> all those individuals with Carrie Russell. Carrie Russell's in Cocaine Bear. Ray Liotta, one of his last one of his final films. You know, uh, but I'm really really looking forward to like Scarface in the Woods. <laughs> I like the scene where the where the where the bear does a rail with the bear. <laughs> <laughs> the bear does a rail off the the uh, dismembered leg, just <laughs> and then carries on. This shit is great. Um, so I'm really really looking forward to that one. That one looks funny as hell. And uh, do it if when it comes out, I'm definitely probably definitely going to show it in uh, show it in the Discord. So, but yeah, we had to watch the trailer for Cocaine Bear. How could we not watch the trailer for Cocaine Bear? If you are looking forward to the trailer or looking forward to the film when it comes out February February 24th is when that's going to drop. Um, if you're looking forward to that, then let us know down in the comments below, of course, a week in horror at gmail.com. Um, I see that a lot of people in the live chat are looking forward to it because it just looks hilarious and just look, and it looks cool as hell. And, you know, you know, the, just, just to see people get torn apart by a cocaine adult bear, it's going to be freaking hilarious. Oh man. Oh man. So that being said, we do have some movies that we, that we are going, or that I, I guess I am going to be talking about tonight. Uh, let me see here. So, first and foremost, so normally I say, like, you know, Johnny would tell me, what do we have up first? So, I'll talk, tell you what we have up first. And uh, there's some interesting stuff about this one because, um, well, we'll get into it. We'll, uh, we'll get into it here in a bit, but uh, let's check this for the Released December 14th, 2010, we have the indie film, the indie horror film, Night Things. Let's check out this trailer. A marijuana squirrel. <laughs> meth, meth gators and LSD sharks. Is, is, those are the films I want to see next. Meth Gators and LSD Sharks. All right. So that was the trailer for Night Thing. So uh, directed by Ward Crockett and written by Ward Crockett and Ryan Notch and starring Catherine Gould, Joey Nicole Thomas, and Ari Azimi. Um, the film uh, isn't... It's Okay, so the film follows a, a girl, the, the girl in the green you saw, who winds up... Uh, it's um, Haley who winds up trapped in this cabin with another with Alex and she finds out that she's stuck there because they can't leave the 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 area because of some barrier that exists there and if they die within the barrier they return to the place that they originally died and they just keep respawning there over and over and over again but out in the woods during the day there are things that will grab you and try to like restrain you and trap you and then there are things at night that come out and just splatter movie kill you the night things themselves and if you die and if the night things kill you you don't come back so it, it all comes down to how the gas is running out of the generator and the lights are beginning to dim and they've got to be able to they got to find a way to escape before you know they lose everything and then the night things come and kill them all um the film in and of itself is is pretty low budget as you saw from the trailer but uh i wouldn't say i wouldn't let that detract you away from checking this movie out now it is available via tubi so you can go and watch it free for there, uh, free from there. Um, 
I found it uh, quite, quite, quite. I found it to be quite an inspired effort. So Ward Crockett, um, it was one of his early, one of his earlier films, and uh, he's a uh, successful, award-winning director who's done some stuff. Who's gotten into the, Lovecraft, uh, the, uh, the HP Lovecraft Festival. You can kind of see the Lovecraftian inspirations all over this film, as far as the atmosphere that he was creating and the the blending between horror and sci-fi, and. Uh, there was some things that were left somewhat ambiguous, so you kind of have to put these things together. There's a, a couple of things plot-wise that I think just a little too that just they, they're presented a little too uh, convenient. Like the girl that gets trapped that eventually gets them out of the situation happens to be a physics graduate uh, at the local college. She just happened to be running out there at the time, and then of course. Um, why things happen the way they do. They, they, they dance around the science, but more it's about trying to escape the, the nasty things out there. Ward does a really, really compelling job in the way he shoots it, despite the, the very, very limited budget. He put the money where the money needed to be, which was really, really smart. So it's in the, the, the day things, and uh, encapsulating uh, what the, the, you know, you never, you never really see what the night things are because that's an important aspect. But they can take human form and kind of lure you into the darkness and they can kind of like grab you and stuff. And so try conveying that was really, really smart. There was a lot, and uh, what's interesting is that um, I actually, okay, so the film itself, and I don't, and, and I'm going to draw, and I'm just like say this straight out the film itself. Uh, reminded me very much of a current series that is on Epics right now. So on Epics, there is a series called From. And From entails essentially the, the, the same kind of thing. It's, it, to me, the similarities between the, two, between the two were somewhat disturbing. Because From is essentially about a family that, sh that is driving across country and they wind up in this town, this little kind of town that they can't escape. Every time that there's only one road through the town, when they drive out one side, they wind up back on the same road. So they keep so it's like a loop, like you know, like playing Pac-Man. You go out one side, you come in the other one, and so they're stuck in this town. And there are many, many people in the town, and they're trapped there. And they can't leave, and it seems like the power that's like like all the and all the electricity that's coming from this place doesn't come from anywhere it's just there there are also weird things in the woods and weird sounds and of course when night falls they have to board everything up and they can't open the doors for anything because there are what look like people out in the woods that splatter movie kill you and we're talking violently and gorily um if anybody ever is caught by them so they'll try to and they'll whisper to you and they'll try to get you to open the windows and open the doors and if you do or if they get inside then they just kill everyone in their paths so the <clears throat> This film, uh, Night Things, it, it was the from is eerily similar to it. It's the same thing. Only in Night Things, it's it's a kind of like energy barrier. What they, they describe is kind of like a dark matter barrier, where matter interacts doesn't can't interact with it, so you can't so it can't pass through it. So you have to shut down the thing that's creating the barrier in order to get out of the barrier. And as as it turns out, it's not really a barrier. What it is is a is a transportation device or a teleportation device and it was designed to teleport someone somewhere else because uh that's something that was really cool and someone brought up that there's it, it there's a lot of inspiration that it reminded them of Blair uh, kind of Blair Witch meets Evil Dead and Pitch Black there's definitely Evil Dead uh inspirations there and there's definitely Pitch Black inspirations there as well but I also I contacted Ward so I talked to the director uh, or I, I emailed the director, and I wanted to get his take on what he thought. So on, because uh, essentially I was kind of like, do you have any like 
insights or comments as to like how similar From is to what you're doing. Because From does the same thing. Eerie noises out there, things that will kill you at night, no discernible reason as to why this thing exists or why anybody is currently trapped in it. There's no real scientific explanation. And there's obviously things out there that, you know, can't be explained. You know, there's a deeper, broader mystery as to what is going on. And, uh... Ward hit back to me, and he uh, thanked me for reaching out and said, thank you for considering Night Things, absolutely. And he ha he actually hadn't heard of the, sh the series from, so I let him know about it, and he said he's definitely going to check it out. And he said he remembered, so predominantly, Night Things was drawn from, oh, this is from Ward himself, was drawn from a script, uh, when he wrote the script 2006-2007, it was drawn from kind of a Twilight Zone episode, where people were trapped in a town that kind of looped back in on itself. Um, so the Creature in the Darkness stuff, inspired by Pitch Black, and of course Darkness Falls. And then uh, the ending is definitely, obviously, an allusion to uh, this to uh, the Quiet Earth. Uh, and lots of, dead, lots of evil dead references as well. And he found it really, really interesting how the creative kind of ether kind of, you know, references itself and goes back and forth and does that. Uh, how did these things just kind of, like, happen? Um, I'm not saying that the guy who created uh, From you know, took directly from Night Things. But that's the strength right there. Even if that were to have occurred, that should definitely put more of a an emphasis on the strength of what Ward was trying, what Ward was doing with this film, what he tried to do with this movie. There's a lot of really strong concepts in Night Things that I think offer some really, really good, uh, you know, really good points of thought or really good questions to ask and a little bit of ambiguity so people can kind of draw their own conclusions about stuff. I think it was really, really smartly done. And so I don't think anybody should miss it, especially if it would, did go on to inspire such a fantastic series as From. And that's why I think that Night Things is a little bit better. I think Johnny expected me to kind of put, you know, polish it a little bit. It's like, no. There was definitely the only thing that stood in Ward's way was just a lack of budget. And that happened sometimes. But he was able to convey what he did. The cinematography, how he shot it, how he framed everything, all of it was really, really solid. I enjoyed it very, very much. And I was like, oh, I could definitely see these kind of Lovecraftian influences and what he's trying to go with. I found it intriguing that the villains in it, the little, like, the day things, the way they look up, look very, very similar. I think he took that uh, that creature design from the Prophecy. Um, the uh, the demons that show up with Viggo Mortensen when he played Lucifer in the Prophecy. Because they look almost identical. So I think there was some inspiration there. Um, with the, like, the bands around their eyes so they can't see in the hood, the brown hoods and shit, and the like, pale skin. So, I'm pretty sure there's some inspiration there. But you'll see all the little tidbits of really smart decisions that Ward has done, which goes to show, I mean, his later stuff has won a, a wide variety of awards. So, a really good early opener um, in a director's career, in a director and writer's career, that really shows, uh, like, the kind of vision that goes behind making stuff like this and really trying to encapsulate a, a you know a solid film. Uh, Leon Richard has a question. Question about the Daily Splatter. Are the film recommendations based upon the the fact that the films were released on that day, or are they posted because they are deemed good but we can horror? No, they are uh, they are based on the fact that they were they were released that day, and no no film has been uh, repeated. So every single day has a film that was has released, whether it was good or it was bad. Um, has a film that was released that day in in horror history, and uh, so far, uh, not a, not a film has been repeated because I mark them all when I use them for the daily splatter. I mark them in the in the horror uh, the horror database. Uh, let me see. 
I forgot this is uh, this is Scooby Cats. I forgot this is weak and horrid. <laughs> um, yeah, Fred is you know, kind of like the Morlocks a little bit. Um, and Rodan Ellis just reminds me a bit of N uh, M Knights the Village as well. There's a lot of similarities there. And you know, because you know, when you're definitely when you're trying to create uh, certain atmospheres, there's th certain things you do, especially when you have a low budget. So it's all about handle you how you handle your light and all about how you handle your sound. Now I know that there will be some criticisms as to the sound in this but sound is in, is incredibly difficult especially when you're shooting out in the woods and you're like when you're on location like that out there in the wilderness you're trying to use one single location the cabin and people are running around yes sound is in, is incredibly difficult you have to have a really solid sound guy so despite all the problems that that presented i thought that Ward and his crew did a really solid job of, of, of trying to overcome those. There's some areas where you just can't. Ambient noise is a bitch. There's a time when the crickets obviously were out there, you know, singing, uh, you know, doing their thing, and you you just can't drown. You can't make that go away. So, I mean, unless you choose to not, not shoot that night, and then you lose a night, which you just can't afford to do when you're operating on such a low budget. Personally, I mean, this is why some directors will choose to film when they're when they're filming outdoors. They'll film during the winter when it's a lot it's a lot colder for your actors. But then you don't get a lot of the nature stuff unless it's really really windy. But if you get one of those kind of like where the air is still, there's no insects going on. You can film at night, and yeah, you may have some some breath and everything like this. But ultimately, you reduce the problems that you have. So sometimes you see that happen a lot in television. In television, when they're filming outdoors, they're filming on outdoor sets, they'll usually film when it's very cold. And you can see the actor's breath when they do that. So I thought this was really, really smartly done. Um, oh, okay, Scooby Cat was checking out my personal channel. Gotcha. Because I said alarm. Uh, let me see here. Oh, see, yep. People seen the video. Yep. Worthy of a... I would say, Rodent, that yes. I would say not, if Ward got the opportunity to make to do to remake this one or to do a sequel to it because this thing and is like like i said the ending is very similar to this quiet earth where it's really about it's not really about things ch like changing things on this planet. it's about it's literally the device turns out to be a transportation device so at the end it's this ambiguous ending where all of a sudden the area where she's at gets moved somewhere else and it's like what the hell and that's when it gets the um, movies like the void are, are, are very, very similar, kind of running this deal, where there's some higher thing, higher technology, or like cosmic whatever, because they find the, the, the technology at the bottom of like an archaeological dig. And so then they use it, and then this is what it turns into from here. So in that respect, um, I like what he was going for, and I think a, high bu a higher budget remake would definitely worth it. He told me that he was kind of interested in possibly doing a sequel, if he could ever get the funding. And I think it would warrant a sequel with a bit a bit stronger budget so we could explore the universe he wanted to create in that. But you can definitely tell if you're a big fan of Lovecraft, if you're a big fan of like movies like Pitch Black, or you know, if, if you've seen the series From, which I strongly recommend. Fantastic performance from Harold, from Harold Perrineau. You know him from, uh, from World War Z. Uh, no, you know him from, uh, Z, from Z Nation and uh, a number of other. I, he was in uh, uh, the, the sequel to The, the Matrix. Um, but a fantastic performance from Harold Perrineau and uh, the ensemble cast in that, so I strongly recommend it. It's just impossible to deny the connective tissue between Night Things, which came out, in, you know, it said 2009, it was a 2010 release, and then, of course, From, which came out in 2021. So, you know, that's, you know, 11 years later, huh? Is that possible? Maybe? I don't know. So, but you'll find it, you'll see like, huh? Yeah, Ward was basically kind of like, yeah, it's weird how you know people kind of like pull things out of the ether. They pull the same thing at different times. Like, eh. 
I saw I saw this one. It's a little too because there's even some shots that are done that are utilized in night things that Ward did in night things that are replicated in from. So I'm just gonna say that. But that should that should only say go and check out night things so you can see the kind of like what Ward was going for and you can see his vision on film. Like I said, it's free. You can watch it on Tubi. Um, it's not a problem there. So a great place to check that out. CPM is here in the chat. Good to see you. And I saw a scuba cat as well. And NANA is showing up. Good to see you. Pitch uh, Leanne Richard Pitch Black was as uh, that Vin Diesel film where they're trapped on the planet with the uh, the aliens, the alien creatures that only come out when the suns go down. And then the planet is locked in a in a like a like an eclipse where there's no sunlight for an extended period of time. Then these like underground creatures come out because they are allergic to the sun. So they come out at night, and then that's when they feed. And then this uh, crew crash lands on this planet just before the eclipse occurs, and before they can get off, the sun set, and then the you know it's a survival deal. That's where they introduced uh, the character Riddick, the guy who uh, uh, Vin Diesel's character Riddick from Chronicles of Riddick, Pitch Black, or you know uh, Riddick stuff like that. So hopefully, and they're supposed to get a fourth one here pretty soon. Hope so. Denova, yes, the void was fantastic, and Phantasm, yeah, a little bit. There's a lot of good, strong inspiration. A very Raimi. Um, a lot of really, really cool stuff here. You know, I mean, you see all the kind of like the, the legendary directors, uh, you know, kind of like inspirations there, their fingerprints there, which I really, really dig. Hey, go with what you know. And if you, something inspires you, run with it. Absolutely run with it. Oh, let me see. Make sure I didn't miss anybody else. Um, did we put Pitch Black on your list? Low, low budget sci-fi horror, but very extremely well done. David Toohey is an amazing director and an, an amazing writer. I love David Toohey. One of my favorite, even though I love the the, uh, the Riddick series, my absolute favorite uh, David Toohey work is um, was The Arrival with Charlie Sheen because it was just a fantastic sci-fi film that was... A, ground was very well very very grounded really well done just a good classic alien invasion flick definitely check out the arrival if you get the chance oh and night things is apparently on amazon prime as well but if you don't want to rent it then you can watch it on tubi and actually tubi's actually better tubi even though there's ads tubi actually pays its content guy its content people the people who drop content there it pays them better so the if, if you watch it on tubi you benefit ward a little bit more so absolutely yeah, the arrival was really good. So, but yeah, definitely check it out. Um, Night Things, uh, released back, like I said, back in 2010 when it came out. Um, you can definitely check out From. It's on Epics if you're subscribed to Epics, so you can check that out. It just recently got um, renewed for season two. You can see the kind of connective tissue between the two, but definitely check out Night Things while you have the opportunity because you'll see where some really strong inspirations are. And especially if you're a burgeoning filmmaker, Great ideas there. Great, great, fantastic ideas. Now, my question is, and you may not be able to answer this just yet, but my question for the audience is, when you go and watch Night Things, if you haven't already, and you go and watch From, I want to know your thoughts. Was From taken from Night Things? Did somebody watch that? Did the guy who created uh, From see Night Things said, I can do that, and just did it differently and changed enough stuff to kind of make it unique? Or is this kind of an example of creativity, of kind of like the creative ether kind of overlapping and people pulling the same things? We don't know, but possibly. But I want to know your thoughts after you watch the two. Watch the first season of From and watch Night Things. Let me know what you think down in uh, comments below or, of course, at weekendhorror at gmail.com. Travis Brown says, I know it was from Night Things. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So here we go. Uh, Aaron. Oh, no, this was supposed to be Aaron Steele. So, yeah, I'm sorry. I don't know why I just read Aaron. So I'm looking at the script. 
Joshua Lee says, doing okay. Oh, Joshua Lee, good to see you, bud. Says, doing okay. Had a long day, so now I'm enjoying relaxing and watching this. Fantastic. It's just me tonight, so, you know, hopefully I'll, uh, hopefully I'll deliver, I'll deliver the goods. Uh, let me see. Uh, here we go. So, our next film that we're going to talk about, and this is the one I know Johnny really, really wanted to be here for, um, because this one I, I've, I've got some commentary on. I really, really do. So, this film released December 15th. 2009 we have huh, mental scars Ooh. let's check out this this trailer i guess it's a trailer sonia garlic looks bad doesn't even begin to describe doesn't even be a, i can tell you this absolute... i can tell you this the editing on that trailer the editing on that trailer was better than the editing in the movie I can give you that. <laughs> that's what's that's what's terribly truly shocking. Um, truly wow, shocking. you're here. They thought that it was worth a uh, ten year anniversary director's cut, <laughs> which is the one I caught on YouTube. It's the one I watched. Um, wow. So I see the Johnny's here. Johnny couldn't resist. He had to pop in. I had Are, the kid, to. Are the kids okay? Uh, we is I don't know. Maybe the flu. Maybe not. We'll see. Okay, did you just pop in? You just popped into just to just for this one. Well, everybody started to get settled down and into their respective places, so I figured uh, I would okay. pop in at the most inopportune opportune time, <laughs> right in the middle of the of the trailer. So, yeah. So anyway, directed by Misha Perez and written by John Oak, Dal John Oak Dalton and Richard Miles, who did the original screenplay, starring Teresa Alexandria, Kaylin Banks, and Austin Bandari. Um, we have mental scars. So essentially, yes, the we do. Okay. We do. We do. The film actually gave me mental scars. So the film itself centers around this shady business lady who's the chick in the white that you saw in the in the film. Who's the shady business chick, business chick who has who's running a scam about turning this like this local junkyard into a parking lot. She's got investors. She's got money coming in, but it's all a big scam. People are aware of it, and she's duping these investors. But it turns out that the Junkyard itself was built on an ancient burial ground, an ancient Native American burial ground, and the spirits of that have infected a person who used to this 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 guy who used to who lived on the property, and now he's a slasher running around killing everyone. And it's ah, uh, it's this the is worst. like it's the absolute is, worst. the The idea of Ooh, it's a ancient Indian burial ground, and then it's this movie does not know what it wants to be. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> does it want to be your typical slasher, or does it want to be some sort of like fucking poultry geist? It doesn't know what it wants to be. It's so bad. It is so bad. I didn't know movies could be so. Um, I didn't think it'd be this shitty, and I've well, seen. I have seen Mono's Hands of Fate. Yes, at least Mono's. At least Mono's. Uh, <clears throat> I don't think Mono's like ever like really took itself that seriously, which is why it's entertaining. Because right. when a movie tries to take itself really, really seriously, especially a movie like this with the budget you've got and the story you've got, when literally the entire film is just a collection of tropes <clears throat> all thrown together with a and no budget to actually back it off. And I think, and not to mention. 
there, there's what I think, and my my kind of take on this watching this, and the thing that really aggravated me the most was not only is the film just crap, it's just a waste of everybody's time, a waste of the money that went into it, and uh, we're gonna get into the whole like Sonny Landham thing, and yes, I'm that's Billy, the the guy, the actor who played Billy from. And it's so over the top <laughs> racist. The, the, Bill, we're gonna get to Fuck. that, but the the biggest issue that I have here was the ego. The ego was very, very apparent in this movie. The ego of the director uh, the, or the writers or whatever was going on. There was way too much self in order to tell the story, which is what got in the way, which is why the film doesn't know what the fuck it wants to be. Everybody, this feels like too many cooks in the kitchen and too many people thinking that what I want is what's going to happen. And then it's going to happen regardless of whatever, which is why the editing was such shit in the film. The Like... Scenes scenes linger for too long. Action action like drops off just you know precipitously. And Weird mind things. You, the one scene that everybody wanted to see was like thirty seconds long. We all know what we're talking about. Let's let's we, the dream sequence. The dream sequence. The dream sequence. Everybody right. wanted to see that, but they're like, <laughs> we're done. So they, so like legit. Um, and Ronan uh, saying this was a torture for me as well because I had to sit through sit through this as well, and it was absolute. This is the, the film in and of itself is abominable. It's abominable for a number of reasons. Like I said, first and foremost, ego. Ego was the big thing that got in the way of this. How do I know? How can I say that is? Is because people thinking that they know better than what works, and they're going to try and reinvent the wheel when it comes to basic horror tropes, basic little things that you do, and basic standard filmmaking, For and, and for example, using things that are completely inappropriate. So, for example, the whole sequence when we're shooting and the, the boss lady, the, the chick is talking to the employee, and we saw him talking back to each other, he does this whole fucking Brian De Palma down the barrel shooting, which was like, why are you doing this? Number one, the scene is not emotional enough for people to connect on that level. You see that the, what I'm talking about. So I know Johnny was talking about when you're shooting down the barrel of the lens with the, with the actors looking directly into the right. camera. And you go back and forth between two people doing that. Yeah, that was obviously, that was really, uh, that was used to great effect in movies like uh, Silence of the Lambs, in movies in yeah. uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia had those moments in between Tom Hanks and Denzel, and also in the movie Fallen. Because it would have moments where where Denzel's character is is talking to the demon, and it keeps switching. So we look directly into the camera, and then he looks back at the person. So that's which what you're is a beautiful, to which is a beautiful camera trick in Fallen, specifically for many reasons. One being uh, the first voice you hear at the beginning of Fallen is Denzel Washington's talking about how he almost died. Right. 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 That it plays so beautifully well into the misdirection of the end of the film. But in, it's autobiographical, just not the autobiography exactly, that you're thinking of. <laughs> exactly. However, in mental scars, they're like, hey, that looks like a cool camera thing. Let's just throw that's this That's a cool shit camera trick, right. And it's a complete misuse of why that's done. When you want to shoot, and you're shooting content like that, you're, you're shooting a scene where the character's looking directly into the camera. The characters, ostensibly what you're conveying is, is the intensity of the moment. We're looking right into their eyes. They're looking right back into ours. That is when you convey really, really deep emotion or deep, deep subtext, which is why it works so well in Silence of the Lambs when Hannibal is looking directly into the camera and Jodie Foster is looking directly back at him because right. especially, with, especially in that final sequence when they're going through her kind of therapy session. Okay, when they're going through that, right. they need to be able to convey that, and that's that, well, that but power the is there. Importantly, the film has earned that. It's earned, earned that. It's true. That from it is us, the watcher because you have this 
the beginning of it, you kind of get a little bit of a glimpse of that, you know, through the looking through the glass, right? So you get Hannibal Lecter and his unblinking, unbreathing stare as Jodie Foster ooh, 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 ooh. walks up. It's, it's when she walks into the, into the little vestibule, walks right. into the little alcove before she goes down, and she's looking around the room. And she's like, like seeing exactly. everything, and then she and then she looks directly at Barney, and Barney's looking right at her. Yeah. And so th- that moment was beautiful. Right. So, but all that stuff worked, right? So it was right. very well crafted into that final. Now you can be, you know, you're getting the the lesson from you know Clary Starling, and then it's uh, Hannibal Lecter. Then it's, it's so meticulously done. And if it was an accident, it's a, one of the greatest accidents to ever been caught on film. Whereas in Mental Scars, it, there's no reason why I should give a shit about any of these characters. Right. One, it's it's almost like about... it's almost like a manipulation. Like he's trying yeah. to force us to view this scene with a particular level of investment that has not been earned, and neither of these characters are, Honestly, there, are, are and they don't even really have arcs. Like these yeah, characters don't even really have arcs. Everything is flat. Everything is flat. Everything is flat. It's so bad. Everybody's one dimensional, and the acting in and of itself is actually quite atrocious. There was one scene. One out of the entire film that I felt was honestly portrayed as an as actors and actors, and that was when the guy in the business, the guy in the the business attire, the 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 black guy sneaks up on him and spooks him, and then they have their conversation. I saw a guy standing over there. Their interaction, there's like one moment in there in all of that interaction, that conversation they had. There was one moment that was legitimately done, and it was it was an honest. It, I was like, okay, that was that was legitimate acting. Everything else is just crap. I so everything else is it because again, it... <laughs> I think he tells a joke. Like he, like he makes some comment about okay, hey, we let's go ahead and get out of here like this. And it's literally just, it just let's move to the next scene. That's all it is. But it was yeah. well delivered, and it was the only well delivered moment in the entire thing. Everything is overwrought. Everything takes itself too seriously, and yeah, it it was it was absolutely terrible. Now. That being said, structurally wise, technical wise, the film is atrocious. They don't know how to utilize their environment. They're, they obviously were shooting in a functioning, working junkyard. Right. So not some abandoned place have been there. So because you can tell because all the cars have things written on them to indicate when they're going to be Move, taken, whatever. Roll, so crushed, they whatever. don't know how to use. They didn't know how to use their environment. They didn't know how to oh, use man, their yeah, set. No they, shit. Here you are. You're working on this on this working junkyard. You have right. built-in set design. You don't have to do shit when it comes to set design, except maybe kind of you know work out some reflection issues or whatever. And you fuck up this bad. It's just, and you fucked it up that bad. It's the acting. Like I said perfect. the acting is terrible. The writing is terrible. The story doesn't know what it wants to be. Too many egos. Technically, it was bad. Sound was bad. Lighting was terrible. Things were bright when they should have been dark. Things were dark when they should have been bright. The kills were lackluster. They could have been better. There was oh, maybe man. one. There was one. One that I thought was good. The great in the face. I thought was okay. And I thought the that dude, was the, you're talking about the girl, right? The, the woman girl. Was, yeah, when she gets the like the. Like a like a fucking toaster oven type don't, shit. Don't, I honestly don't, don't know. But but the the pop up. What the fuck? Blah! That actually got a laugh out of me. That, that was well. That was funny. That was funny. There were, did you? Okay, so the one where the where the, uh, where the black guy comes out. He's but no, 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 no. But it got no, no. It, it got a laugh out of me because he killed him with a fucking like crescent wrench that was like this big. <laughs> I was like, like, what are you doing? You're not gonna hit me with that. You're gonna piss me off. You're gonna okay? piss me off. I was like, oh, come on, pipe wrench, man. Gives it more like a like a one inch wrench. Give me yeah. something solid. He's like, no, crescent wrench. I pulled out of my toolbox. Pow. <laughs> 
there was one where the where the uh oh, well, the, i can't remember the character's name because i don't give a shit but the black guy he's like all right i'm not going out like this so he takes his shirt off i think the only reason why he takes his shirt off is so they don't have to like, i think they borrowed that shirt from somebody else's wardrobe and had to oh. turn that shit because it made no fucking <laughs> sense whatsoever to do. i don't right, know why like he Look, strips his shirt is like i'm gonna strip my shirt off i'm, I'm not going out like this and then probably gets killed which Two is seconds. which yeah. is hilarious <laughs> but okay, and yes, yeah, Sir the blonde hiding in the middle of the well lit open area between the rows of cars. Yes, is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. So, but yeah. here's the big thing, and here's the biggest problem with this fucking thing. Number one, they have the money to cast Sonny Landon. So anybody familiar with Sonny Landon knows he plays he played Billy in Predator. Okay. Um, one of my favorite characters ever in a sci-fi horror film. There's something there's something out there hunting us, and it ain't no man. Billy was great. Ensemble Cassie works well. and But Billy is also of, of, of indigenous American descent. This film, I can't tell if it was overt or accidental, but the racist overtones in the depiction of indigenous Americans was beyond the pale. I'm I have seen bad throw, stuff. but I'm going to throw them a bone and say they were just too stupid to realize what they were doing was just atrociously <laughs> racist racist I mean, how how sunny put up with this as an actor i have no idea was he that I, do you think he was that hard up when did he pass sunny passed in what 24 2017 maybe he Seven. was with that hard up for cash maybe, maybe sunny like, landum hey. uh he passed 20 august 2017 2017 this I don't know, man. This was like, what two thousand and nine, the original two thousand nine. So maybe he knew he was gonna. I don't know. I don't. Maybe he's like, hey, I gotta eat today. Hey guys, uh, I d- I don't know. I, it's just, I, it was embarrassing uh, to that respect. Um, not to mention when they're doing the whole like they're showing like the flashback sequences around the campfire of the indigenous Americans. Um, which and was weird. Like, when oh, you have your uh, when you when you we have we your. Are, we all sacrificed ourselves here to make sure that we would protect our way of life, and then something else kills all of them. Like, what? I was a little confused <laughs> in that one. I think it was a matter of, like, it was a sacrifice in order to make sure the land stayed theirs. I'm not 100% sure, because, like I said, the film, like you said, the film doesn't know what the fuck it wants to be. Yeah. What, whether, what, or if it's even trying to say anything. Is there some sort of overt? Because they shoehorn the slasher into it the ghost aspect the possession aspect and then like the the like like what this you know why is the killer all bandaged up we have no clue why he keeps playing with his hair in every fucking scene i well, have no so they, idea they, it's because of childhood trauma some reason this kid has childhood he's, he's he's mentally scarred he has some childhood trauma and now the spirits of the navajo have possessed him to keep <laughs> this sacred junkyard safe sacred junkyard fuck it's it's not it's it's really really bad it was a, um i decided obviously a decided lack of vision uh but the big thing on this one is like obviously you watch it because it's just so ridiculously bad so if you were if you were also a filmmaker you wanted to see like what absolutely not to do and the choices you know what not to make i mean Sure, all of the horror tropes are there. There's there's kills, there's gore, there's ghosts, there's a slasher, there's there's titties, um, you know, a, a, an all too abbreviated sex scene movie, and you get thirty seconds of boobs. That's and then of course an ending that was like actually Stupid. was more confusing. I I, cu- I couldn't tell that was happening. That was like 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 showing what was leading up to the opening events. 
I'm not. I'm not hundred. I don't get it either. So hey, I, I, I have this baby for you. Go do what you're gonna do with it. Okay. Yeah. What? I I'm not hundred percent sure. This was very very weird. Um, but yeah, this is the this is the, like this is the reason why when you know, like not everybody can do film. Um, and it shows exactly the mentality that you don't take going into this. When you have the money to secure someone like Sonny Landon, when you have the money to produce, doesn't matter. When you have the money to make your movie, the movie making the movie, and you're unfortunately you're gonna get this. Movies should not be ego like like you know love letters to the director's self. Like no. oh, look at this fucking movie. There's unless a reason. You're, unless you're fucking what's his name? Unless you're Oliver Stone, don't do that shit. Or unless you're James Cameron. <laughs> Or James Cameron. So, unless you're James Cameron, and you have you have the skill to be able to back that up, right? Um, unfortunately, he does not. Uh, the, the you know, I, which is why you don't see much from anybody that was associated with this one because it was beyond right. terrible. Yeah, it's like would be perfect. Like a uh, CPM's his mental scar is such a good title too. Would be a perfect for like a psych thriller with a gaslighting couple. That could be. Yeah, that's more interesting. That yeah. really, really is. Um, but well, on a, uh, Brian Powell says, on a scale of one to ten, what would you give this movie? JL? I need to ask. I, wait, I need to ask the metrics of the rubric, please. <laughs> is one the best, or is ten the best? I need to know that. Okay, before I can ask that question, I need to know if one is the best or if ten is the best. Let me know, Brian. I think it's a, I think I think we can assume one. I don't want to assume. I want to make sure the... because I don't want to accidentally give this fucking movie a rousing fucking <laughs> review. There's no way. I mean. I if if one is the worst and ten is the best, this thing negative definitely 150. is one hundred and fifty negative infinity sign. Okay, is negative is ne- like negative numbers or can we go negatives? I'm not one hundred percent sure, but yeah, uh, I would only I would only watch this one. I would I would only recommend this one for anybody who is get, getting into the film. Who's okay? I would actually I would actually if I was teaching a course. And teaching uh, and talking about like film theory, okay. Yeah. I would actually use this as an example, and there are many other examples, but this is this is a good one of how not to approach the the art of filming or even the science of filmmaking, how not to approach the industry. Movies like this are approached by people who have legitimately. I just want to say I got a movie under my belt and I did a movie. And I don't care how I fucking did it. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. It doesn't further anybody's career. In fact, it damages people more than anything else. Not to mention, it's more likely just going to piss people off just because of its depictions. You know, if you're going to convey, can, you know, depict Native American or Indi- Indigenous Americans on film, don't have them sitting around a campfire with feathers in their friggin' uh, hair, with no shirts on, and white slacks. <sighs> That's not how you do it, my friend. Wow. So yeah, it's one being it's then it's below the worst. Uh, yeah, I, I, like I said, I would only use this as a use this film as a teaching example of what absolutely not to do. And it's not a matter of what not to do technically; it's what not to do as just a damn filmmaker. Yeah, don't come into it with this fucking attitude like you're going to reinvent the wheel, especially when you're working with probably fifteen, ten to fifteen thousand dollars, whatever they were working with on this one, filming in people's homes, filming in places that you have free access to. You know, whatever in that respect, it's just this is this is what happens when you don't have a producer to rein in, right? So every now and again, we, we like to we like to you know talk shit about producers, but this movie needed a real producer to somebody to come in and look at the script tree and be like, no, this doesn't work. No, this needs right. to be reworked. No, we need to rethink this. No, this didn't. No, no, somebody needed to tell this guy no. This is why there are production meetings before you go into production. This is yeah. why every, so everybody's on the same damn page. This is why you create a production Bible. So right. that, and the director has a production Bible, 
and the script supervisor has a production Bible. Everybody, so the people that need one, have one. And then when you go into the editing room, you have the production Bible with there with all of the notes throughout every single scene about like where we need to cut this, what we need to do with this, yep. convey this, like, and everybody, that, that's the difficulty in this. Logistics is always a bitch when you're trying to make movies. Especially when you've got like serious budgets, when you've got tens of thousands, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars that you're working with, logistics is always a pain in the ass. And the more you want to convey in your film, or the more intricate your movie is, the harder those are going to be. Because then you're, you're not just coordinating. The pieces moving on the board are intense. So you've got your actors, you've got your crew, you've got your units, you've got the people you know uh, behind the camera. You've got everything you've got to deal with and then put it all together into a, into a coherent narrative when you're in the editing suite. This thing, not great. Because this is what happens when you just go out there and you just fucking do your thing. And I feel bad for whoever produced this bad boy because that movie was... Because that money is, is gone. Just down the drain. Down the drain. I don't even think they've made enough in YouTube ad revenue to... I don't think they made any money in YouTube ad revenue right. just by this shit. This, Travis Brown, uh, <laughs> while I love MST3K, this movie doesn't deserve an MST3K. It wouldn't it's deserve so it. Bad. It's, it's so bad. It's that, it's that wrong. It's just that bad. It's just so and, bad. Right. So, I, you know, of course, there was a director's cut, which I, yeah. I, I don't even want to watch the original to see what was added because it's not like it, because that means there was less in the film. So, no, I kind of upset that I didn't get the original film, so I wouldn't have had to watch as much. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Overly long, overly annoying, and just, just badly done. Okay, so, so Tony Regime asked a really good question. What if you don't want your unit put into a, co a coherent narrative? <laughs> there are good ways and there are bad ways to do that. This mm. is a bad way to not have a coherent, uh, coherent narrative. Right. Um, just terrible. It's just awful. So, like you know, like we said before, like they took all the dailies, right? And they, they took all the dailies and had it in a plate, and they just threw that plate up. And <laughs> wherever they true. landed, they just picked it up one, two, three, four, five, and then boom, they put it. Oh, it's pretty yeah. like this. So From so like we initially stated, the film like Mental Scars in and of itself is just a collection of horror tropes. It's just all the things that work in horror, and they just slapped them all together and just kind of gave it a framing narrative. This really badly thought out, badly acted, badly written uh, narrative. And while we applaud them for getting a film in the, in the can, that even that is begrudgingly given because this movie is yeah. was made for all the wrong reasons. Is that again you can see it. And I mean I know I'm probably I'm speaking as a seasoned filmmaker when I can watch a film and I know Johnny see this as well, Eugene probably will, would see it as well. I know Aaron certainly did. When watching a film like this and you you've watched as many as we have and you've worked on films and you recognize certain things. There are things that stand out to us from having seen the sausage made to be like I know why they made that choice, or I know why the director decided to leave that there, or I know why this happened. When you don't trust the people that you're working with, and then everybody got to, everybody's got to micromanage everybody, especially when it's the director, because it's my vision, I'm going to make it happen. And the director is sitting there in the editing suite, and he's telling the editor, no, don't do this, because he doesn't trust the editor to do it correctly. This is when it becomes problematic, and there's wrong all over this of this one. Watch it solely as an example of what never ever to do, and what kind of mindset you never have when going in and you're doing a team project like making a movie. So, but because it is a collection of horror tropes, and I found that interesting. Um, the only thing I found interesting about this was there were so many in it. But I want to know. I want to ask the audience, what is your favorite horror trope the one that you like to see the most in your horror films what attracts you to horror the most which horror trope do you dig 
And it could be, of all of them that are out there, let us know down in the comments below or, of course, here in the live chat or at weekendhorrorgmail.com. What is your favorite horror trope, the one that you look forward to, uh, forward to the most in the horror films you watch? Boobs. Boobs? <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm a I'm a sucker for the twist. I'm a sucker for like the Man. for like the for like the for like the third act twist. I just it's, got, I, it's I, gotta be a good one though. It can't. Be it's gotta good. be good, right? It's it lives and dies on it. Yeah. So like Sir Kevin said, zombies, the undead. All right, yeah, ghouls. There you I go. I thought that was great. A lot of people gave that movie shit with uh, with uh, Bill Murray and. Uh, Adam Driver. Oh, you're talking about... Uh, um, yeah, you know, ghouls. Oh, no, 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 no. It was uh, Bill Murray, Adam Driver, Chloe Sevigny, uh, yeah, yeah. Jim Jarmusch's The Dead Don't Die. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. And, and and people are like, this movie's so weird. Have you not seen Jim Jarmusch's work? <laughs> it's like, when, you're, when you're, your secondary character's like, it's like, why aren't you freaking out about this? Oh, because I read the script. Yeah. What? What? <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, that's Jim Jarmusch's stuff. So if you're not ready for Jim Jarmusch and you've got like the katana wielding dentist played by Tilda Swinton, who's not surprised by anything going on and then gets picked up by the aliens at the end of the movie. That's not even a spoiler. <laughs> that's not even a spoiler for Jim Jarmusch's Dead Don't Die. <laughs> that's how weird it is. Uh, yeah. I'm just so back to twists. I got to say it has to be a it has to be earned. You can't just twist for the sake of twisting. It's like right. the fucking Saw franchise just, well, we have to end with the twist. So, no, no, you don't. Ooh, Tony Regime, ancient evil and cult of doom tropes. Mm. I like ancient evil tropes. Psychological ghosts for Angel Rivera. Uh, the ignorant unleashing the evil. Ignorance unleashing the evil, a la Evil Dead. Fantastic. Yep. Oh, it's Sir Kevin says, I also love it when the humans are the real monsters. Nice. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Where the thing is on screen, but you don't see it till it's too late. Oh, that's cool. Oh, Joshua Lee says the we're fucked trope. Yep. <laughs> oh, fantastic stuff. I do that. Oh, I do. I do love. I love the twist. And the two things that solidified that for me were, and it's. I mean, I know it's gonna sound cliche. Was and my Shyamalan's Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense because, despite the fact that it was very obvious on the second viewing, the first viewing is like, holy! It, it obviously blew everybody away. You know, people are like, oh, I figured it out. It's like, fuck no, man. That movie did $600 million, you know, open wide. Yeah. So nobody figured that out because Haley Joel Osment, Bruce Willis, knocking it out of the park. I feel so uh, and Tony Collette, And Tony Collette. Tony Collette. Oh, shit. Tony Collette. She is a, she is an unappreciated gem. Oh, yes. Fucking everything. Oh, dude. Fucking not just hereditary, but if anybody ever gets a chance to see her in United States of Terror, yeah. holy shit, she was good. Fuck, She's that woman is... She's one of the, again, she is the most underappreciated actress. One, yeah. So, um, and uh, the other one yeah. was the video game Bioshock because the twist in Bio, the original Bioshock, the twist in that one, I had to pause the game. I had to stop. And like, what the fuck? Because everything that went down goes. It's in the. It's a third act twist when you re when it's revealed. That I don't know if I should spoil that. Well, it's an old game. This came out like early two thousands. Yeah, we're past the five year. I don't think anybody. Okay, so but in Bioshock, you're playing the main character. It's a first person shooter. You do your own thing. You're going basically. There's a person you're trying to get to, and they're talking to you over a radio, and they're helping you through your missions and telling you what you need to do. And blah 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 blah. And and he keeps and the 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 guy will the guy over the radio will ask you, um, 
so we need to go and do this. Would you kindly go over there and blah, 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 blah. So then you go and you do it and that's it. But then the twist is the guy that you're, who's been talking to you set the whole thing up. You're a pawn in his game. And you were, you were, it was all designed from the get go. Yeah. And the would you kindly is a, is a, um, is a sub, is a, uh, is a, is a hypnotic suggestion to get you to do what he wants you to do. Right. So, and it was like, and I was like, oh my God. Pause. <clears throat> yep. I suck. <laughs> I've been duped. <laughs> so, yeah, that kind of just, that blew me away. There's brilliant writing there. All right. So, but yeah, definitely let us know what your favorite trope is. Looking forward to hearing about that. So, do you want to uh, uh, we'll, take this we'll, next one? We'll do this next one. I didn't get to watch the last one because, you know, dealing with all these people. But uh, this one here I have seen. I've seen before. And obviously, we're talking about the 2003 direct-to-DVD horror film, Puppet Master, The Legacy. I love these fucking movies. <laughs> <laughs> all right so this is puppet master the legacy directed by charles band written by c courtney joiner and david schmoller starring jacob uh, whitkin and kate orisney i gotta say oh uh, really quick at the bodega bay in uh, bodega bay california uh what other two films anybody rogue agent mclean reads uh uh, reads Andre Toulon's diary, hoping to find some secret formula, but it blows up because reasons. Uh, and then she finds Eric Weiss talking to the last of the puppets, Blade, Pinhead, Jester, Tunneler, and Six Shooter. And then it's like t- traditional, typical puppet master formula awesomeness. Puppets come to life, murder a bunch of people. It's just fun. These are just fun movies. They're just fun movies. The plot, who gives a shit, right? A bunch of people show up. They're they're killing fodder for little puppets. That's all you need to know, right? And if you don't like, if, if that plot sounds stupid to you, then don't watch these movies. You're not going to enjoy yourself. If you go into a puppet master movie thinking, I need, I'm going to see some terrific cinema, you're not. It's not for you. Trust me, they're fun. They're just fun movies. Okay, so yes, they are fun. Okay, and and while I, I I love the overarching narrative, I love the narrative how how the the puppets start out as villains, and then they come and then they they turn into like antiheroes and they turn yeah. into heroes and then back into into like antiheroes. It's it's right. it's weird. So so there's an interesting. Well, I like arc how going. they how they use that where the puppets kind of they bond with whoever's controlling them at the time. So if it's a right. good person, they're going to be good. If they're if it's a not so good person, you know, they're going to be kind of dickish and murdery. <laughs> So in this particular one, this is the eighth film released yeah. in the franchise itself, and it's a sequel to Puppet Master Five. Uh, it's a direct sequel to uh, 1994's Puppet Master Five, and the um, the thing that gets me so the characters in itself, the two human characters that appear in this one, the guy is is essentially the old the old man, the grown up version of the child that was in Puppet Master Three. When we see like the origins of what happened with Toulon's wife, and then the puppets that he has, and how the Nazis came in and tried to take over everything, and uh, the, uh, arguably what I think is the best overall of all of the Puppet Master films, because it shows the origin of Blade, which I thought was really really cool, and there's just really really uh, just overall it's an in, 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 an interesting story. It doesn't get too much into the backstory, but goes into how the Nazis made Toulon the monster that he became. 
Right. So, and the film, this film in and of itself, is the reason I bring it to that, I question whether or not it's a film at all. Because the film, all the kills that Johnny talked about, yeah. everything in this, everything is a flashback to other, yeah. to, the, to the previous seven movies. Essentially, she breaks in to get the secret of Toulon's magic. To, like, figure out what it is. Because the uh, the inten- her intention is to find a way to stop it. Because the puppets themselves don't want to live like that anymore. They don't want to be trapped in these pu- these puppet bodies right. any longer. And they essentially, they want to die. They want to move on. So the secret in the magic may reveal... The, se- the secret that makes the magic may reveal how to literally kill them and stop them. And so she's broken in there to figure this out. She confronts the old man. The old man reveals that he is the young boy from Puppet Master 3. He's all grown up. And he has the secret to Toulon's, uh, to Toulon's magic. And... He's trying to educate her on, like, the history of this. Like, how it came about, what Toulon's message was, what was going on, how the puppets were made, and the, all the various stuff. They're all, they're, and they're basically arguing back and forth. And with all, you know, it's, it's kind of a framing narrative for a whole bunch of flashbacks. Is this really a film? Or is this more of a highlight reel? Because all the flashbacks are all the interesting kills right. that took place. So, it's like... I was like, okay, cool, but I've seen all these before. There's like nothing new in any of this. Rodan says, this this is going to make Witchcraft 7 look like House Party 2. Oh, (laughs) yeah. No. uh, (laughs) um, Yeah, I get that. A lot of people thought that's the number one criticism. Most anybody would have about this is no new kills. Um, And this did kind of seem. Like it was a stopgap for Full Moon. Like, hey, we haven't made a good movie in a while. Or not a good movie. We haven't, I don't think we've ever made a good movie. Um, we haven't made a decent return in a long time. If we slap Puppet Master on this, we could just do a highlight reel, shoot maybe four or five days of actual shooting, put together a film, spend ten grand, and make a hundred. Yeah, write 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 a framing script. Yeah, shoot two people down in one set in one location. So it's two people, one location, talking to each other. Right, and then they reference back to events that took place and just show stuff from the uh, from the other movies. It's this nine. I would say eighty percent of the movie is just flashbacks. Yeah, is flashbacks to previous stuff. Now, I in my that could be either brilliant or it could be lazy. I don't know. It's a cheap way to put out a movie, but it's also it's also a really brilliant way to maintain interest in your franchise right. in case you're if you're leading up to another while you're securing funding for another picture. So like they were looking to make the ninth film. It's like we have this idea, but we don't need the money because maybe Puppet Master really isn't that isn't that interesting right now. Well, let's let's create something really cheap and you know on the fly, on the fly right. with all these highlights of all these puppet kills and then we'll show that and then the interest in that it will kind of like resurge interest in that, and then we can use that interest to parlay that into the budget for the next. Yeah, film. right, exactly. Maybe. So it's it's classic filmmaking business. It's it's. I mean, Charles Band is is a is a genius when it comes to marketing these things. He knows how to utilize his properties, and he did this. I was that, that's why I was kind of like, it's kind of cool to go back and see the old school stuff. Um, I honestly think it's a you know. It's kind of, you know, uh, Denova says it was a bait and switch to keep people interested. And I get that. Yeah, yeah, for certain. I get that. It's Charles Band's thing. It's his IP. It's his franchise. It's it, Full Moon uh, Pictures is his. He can do whatever the hell he wants with it. 
but that's essentially how sometimes we get things done. It's kind of like how it's kind of like how uh, Kevin Smith really, really wanted to do uh, Clerks Three, but he couldn't find anybody to finance it. Right? Nobody wanted to, to. He's like he couldn't find money for shit, so he did Tusk, and Tusk is what led to him being able to do Clerks Three, because people are like, "Holy crap, Tusk!" What else you got? Clerks Three. That so sometimes you got to kind of do the thing. That, that you do the safe film, then you do the art film. You yeah, I would, film, argue that, film. I would argue that Tusk is not the safe film in this. <laughs> uh, so I, I get why they did Charles it. Brand knows, Just, he knows his, he knows Full Moon. And Full Moon wouldn't right. be Full Moon if it wasn't for Puppet Master. Point blank and period. There's no other reason why people <clears throat> keep going back to Full Moon films. He, what, they're what? How many Puppet Master films? 17, 18 now? It's up there. It's it's yeah. almost as it's almost as it's getting up there. It's not as many as Amityville. Is the Amityville franchise because the Amityville okay, is so just gone. We said this, but there are a <laughs> lot of films because of the the way that Amityville. There's not like, like they couldn't, like, trademark or there's a reason why there are other films who make an Amityville film that are that way just in name only. They're not part right. of the. You know the one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever. However, from the they 70s, just use the visage of the house, the whether you like, house, you know, whatever. You know, Amityville in space is where they they lost it. <laughs> right. they, 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 yeah. it went there. I don't know why, but it went why. there. Yeah, it's kind of it's so stupid. But um, what was I saying? I don't even know. Well, it, so the, the thing oh, about no, this, talking about full moon. Uh, oh yeah, full moon being that they know where their money they know where their money comes from. Their money comes mm-hmm. from puppet master series has kept full moon afloat. For geez, decades, yeah, almost forty years now. So there you go. And and yes, Joshua Lee says, "Will there ever be a new puppet master?" There are, there are, they're, they're still making them. So yeah. I think, like I said, they're, they're. I mean, every every year or so, they put out a new one. And like I said, they, it's changed back and forth. It's gone round. But they be they've been villains. They've been heroes. They've been antiheroes. It's kind of like it kind of bounces around a bit. But you can always you can always bet on Charles Band. When it's time to put something out, we're gonna get a new Puppet Master movie. Oh, yeah. I like that. I like that in the recent films, he's found a bit of a groove, and I, it, that really, really works. He kind of found the sweet spot as to where yeah. Puppet Master because the original films always seemed it was kind of like like he's trying to figure out how to make this thing work the best, like what he wants to lean into the gore or the drama or the comedy or where yeah. do we where do we really work? And it was about. Um, and I think it was Axis of Evil, where he where Full Moon really found its groove with the Puppet Master franchise, yeah. and they they've leaned into that, and it's really it's really good stuff. So check out you know, check out the most recent things. But this particular one was I think it was a matter of just kind of like putting something out there to keep interest, which is cool. I mean, it's a business. Yeah, do it every now and again. You got to do it every once in a while to keep your franchise alive, especially to get you to kind of leapfrog to films that you want to do. Now that's the, the this is the kicker. Now one thing that I realized that it kind of like dawned on me when I watched this one, and I wanted to ask the the audience and get the audience opinion, especially Johnny, uh, on this. So we've commented before when talking about Puppet Master, about the various films in the franchise that occasionally that each film typically has one or two scenes that are completely and totally stop motion, like and and they always look phenomenal. There's always something they, they manage to pull off with stop motion animation that the puppets look absolutely amazing. Whether it's whether they're running by the camera or they're dropping into frame 
or they're standing there and, they're and they turn around and look at something. Or one of my favorites was in Puppet Master 2 when Blade kills the dude on the bed and then the girl walks in and screams and then he does his whole sequence where he jumps off the bed, hisses at her and comes like tearing ass right. after her ass. There are some moments, the stop motion that Full Moon does is fucking phenomenal. It is seamless, wow. it is brilliant, and... But, and I was like, okay, so they, they're they capable of doing that, of making these things, like, legitimately awesome so that you, by utilizing stop-motion animation, why don't they just do an entire movie that way? Because it's because, expensive. And it's such a bummer, because I would love to see an entire Puppet Master film that really leans into that. Maybe the close-ups and everything can be the dolls themselves, but the vast majority of all the action... Definitely wanted definitely uh, stop motion. You know, Aaron brought up uh, something in the green room when we were, we were doing the breakdown for this episode, talking about how they should do the computer generated stop motion, which takes a long time to set up. But once you get it set up, then you just you can pretty much do anything with it, right? It's like right. programming your your CGI uh, dinosaurs, right? Yeah, exactly. Wrote nothing. <laughs> and look, more power to him because. I don't know. For me, maybe it's a nostalgia thing, but I love those little fucking demonic toys. They're great. Demonic uh, toys. Demonic toys is pretty damn effective. I'll give yeah, you that. It was really, yeah. Um, but I think if they did that, if they just took a budget for one of the films and did nothing but programming their stop motion, in mm -hmm. you know, and then they could, yeah, they could. It's so much better to do it that way. It's faster. And, uh, it's cheaper in the long run. It just takes a long time setting it up, which is time up front. But right, so Angel Rivera CPM bring up way too expensive, time consuming would probably yeah. be the guess, and I absolutely agree with that. Now, Rodin Ellis brings up Nightmare Before Christmas, Coraline, Box Trolls, Corpse Bride. It can be done. Sure, it can. And I think that the difficulty in a puppet master film would be the interactions between the puppets themselves, however they're they're animated, and live action people. Blending those two together is really, really tough. And it's just, is you know, I can see that the, the difficulties presented there would be very expensive to overcome those difficulties. Yeah. But it can be done. We've seen people be able to do this. The whole point but being I want is to that... say about that, hang on really quick before I uh -huh. interject, but I want to say about that point about Nightmare Before Christmas, Fox Trolls, Corpse Ride, Caroline. Nightmare Before Christmas had a $24 million budget. Yeah. If you were to add up every single Puppet Master movie, they wouldn't have a twenty-four million dollars. <laughs> uh, oh so. shit! Um, hang on a sec. Now, now I'm kind of curious about that. So, oh, their budgets aren't aren't on there. They don't have to be on there. They don't have to. Yeah, they, they don't really funny. need them. So they don't have to. They they don't have to release any financial. <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. But yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I wish they would. I think it would be amazing. And I think that given the love that exists for Full Moon and the love that exists for this franchise would actually, would, would, the, I think that they would make the money back, especially if it looked as fantastic as it could possibly be. But it may be beyond Charles Band's uh, budgetary capabilities. Maybe Full Moon just can't you know, pull in that, that kind of a budget. I get that. Um, if Good I Lord. was a billionaire, I just looked up Coraline's budget. You know what Coraline's? Budget oh, I don't even was? imagine thirty million, 20, 20, 60 million dollars. Million dollars. Holy shit! Yeah. If I was a yes, billionaire, it can be done. If, That's the point. If it can be done, if you have millions of dollars, if I was a multi-billionaire, if I was a multi-billionaire, I would drop 
I would give Charles Band I'd give him sixty million to twenty five twenty five million dollars to make the Puppet Master film we all want. Yeah, and I wouldn't even say I would literally be like 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 Disney and Marvel. I'd just be fucking hands off. Here's your money. Do what you do best. Yeah, you know I want. You know, obviously, I'm, I'm producing this thing, so I want I want updates, and everything, but no input from me. Just take my money. I don't and care give if I take the, the money back. I just want. I don't to even care. Yeah, because I just want to see a badass <laughs> mother. I want to see fucking Harryhausen style puppet master film, and I want you guys to put it together. And here's your fucking money. Do it. Yep. All your bills are paid. Make it fucking happen. Make it happen. Because I'm 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 a horror nerd, and I'd be very stupid with my money if I was like that. Yeah, right. <laughs> Probably why we're not millionaires. <laughs> oh man. Oh, he says turd. Uh, Sir Cab says turd significantly polished, sufficiently polished. Let's go to the diamond in the rough. Um, wrote a lesson. Budget, budget. We don't need no stinking budget. This is true. This is sometimes we don't. We absolutely don't. But uh, for as far as like highlight reel goes, it's a highlight reel. You know, I dig it because it was, it was like, oh, I remember that kill. This is banking totally on the nostalgia. Sure. I remember that from Puppet Master Three. I remember that from Puppet Master Four. Oh, I remember that from Puppet Master Five. Yeah. Oh, the first, you know, like all that crazy shit. So I totally, I totally in spaced. On like the he kind of put himself into like the weird puppet body thing. It was yeah. like, oh, I was like, that was so fucking was so weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, B. Blanco, you're bringing it up four hundred thousand, seven hundred eighty thousand. He just didn't have the budget for all of that. And I guarantee you the bulk of that budget went to stop motion. Uh, right. People bring up Harryhausen. Harryhausen did it at a time where he pioneered that shit. So people. Well, he also did time when he was like, eat, snap, yeah, eat, snap. Eat snap. <laughs> yeah, we'll do it, but it's going to take us uh, six months to a year for right. twenty seconds. I can't remember what the what the actual. I think in twenty four hours you can get like ten seconds of Ugh. something, some shit like that. It was some something crazy. Anyway, we talked about Puppet Masters one through nineteen. <laughs> I think I think it's eighteen. Um, that being said. What I want to know is, what is your favorite Puppet Master film? Let me know down in the comment section uh, in the side chat or we can horror at we can horror. My goodness, we can horror at gmail.com. <laughs> definitely, definitely Puppet Master 3. Not only because of the cool backstory and all that, but I, it gave a six shooter, which I thought was amazing. Six, six shooter was yeah. fucking sweet. <laughs> I just love that. I, I mean, come on, you have a moment where, they, where he's like, ha ha. He's like, ee. Yeah, and all those guns go. was like, oh shit! Ordinary guest says, "Jail, you need an appearance in that movie somewhere if you bankroll the whole thing." Uh, yeah. Oh hell yes, <laughs> absolutely. Oh, uh, all right. So, oh, uh, Denova Choice says number one is his favorite. Fantastic, awesome. All right, so <clears throat> we got one more. I know we're going to talk about this one because this one. Is was this one was significantly awesome? Can we actually set this up? Fantastic! All right, so our last film of the night, released December seventeenth, two thousand four, is a tale of two sisters. Let's check out this trailer. A Korean film, by the way. Just just a heads up. All right, a tale of two sisters, written and directed by Kim Ji Woon, and I'm gonna do my best, starring Im Soo Jung. Moon Gunyoung, Yong Yongha, Kim Kapsu, and Lee Dae-yoon. Pensacola, Mountain Dew. <laughs> so, uh, the film itself, 
uh, yes, the film itself centers around a uh, young girl who is reunited with her family after being institutionalized. And she rejoins her family, her father, her stepmother, and her sister back at the family country home. Where, uh, as she attempts to reintegrate back into the home um, after an extended uh, institutional, uh, like, period of institutionalization, um, things begin to unravel uh, within the home as a series of increasingly disturbing and violent events begin to tear everything apart. Um, there is, uh, it's, uh, okay, so Aaron brought up, and of course, you know, to the inevitable, to the inevitable conclusion, when I, obviously, uh, you know, Aaron, or Eugene would say shit gets real. Yep. So, Rodino said, oh, no, oh, the twist. Oh, God, so Rodino's last name just dropped it. It says the twist. <laughs> so, okay, so Aaron actually messaged us. It was kind of like, do, you know, even though this film came out, in 2003 it's yeah. almost 20 years old okay it's 20 years old next year D you know do we want to like hold off on the on any potential spoilers too late. for the film it's too <clears> late <throat> so rodin actually did it so uh yes and you know uh i will have to say this obviously an amazing film this was the highest grossing horror film in korean history and the first to actually uh like korean horror film to actually see a release um here in america so an amazingly done film, a, a really, really nicely uh, created psychological horror drama um, that I think plays on every aspect that it tries to convey beautifully. Um, the, the sarcasm brings up the music, the, the music for select scenes, the color schemes, the lighting, the tension cinematography, the, the script, the acting, all of it was actually fucking, was, was, was per, in my eyes, was perfection. As far as what they were trying to convey. And I love the idea. And yes, Angel Rivera brings up. Korean horror has a lot of hidden gems. It absolutely does. The little bits and pieces that are taken. The, when we're watching it as the audience. We are essentially picking up the pieces. As we're going along. Nothing is given away too quickly. Things are revealed in service to the plot. When they need to be revealed for the plot. No, we're, not, they're not, we're not led by the hand. We follow on this journey. As it leaves these breadcrumbs out for us, and that's what I love the most is how much it draws us in. It draws us in because the big reveal at the end that um, the daughter, uh, uh, Sumi, um, yeah, the daughter Bay Sumi is is dissociative, and her sister and this version of her stepmother <clears throat> are products of her imagination, and she is re essentially reconciling the traumas that occurred when this woman, this stepmother, came into their lives. The big thing about this is, the one thing to remember why this works, oh, Travis Brown put him in timeout due to spoiling the ending. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> the thing that, get, that, that I love the most about this is that I, the, the, uh, the, the subjects of identity and the subjects of family, essentially politics, and the idea of what we present to one another is culturally different in Korea. So there is a very, very, there's an almost performance aspect to all the different roles within the household. That each individual has their own specific function. These are what they do. This is what we're supposed to be doing. But our humanity demands more. So there's a level of self-control that is almost anathema to the human experience. But this, but and that that anathema is where the drama, where the horror lies in this. The things we don't tell each other, the things we're unwilling to to reconcile, the things that we completely deny because we we just can't do because we can't deal with shit. Like the father's like inability to 
really identify with his daughter and her plight and the chaos and more overwhelmed by the chaos that comes with her plight. Um, it's both poignant and it's terrifying in that respect because it's very much grounded in kind of a, in a realistic sense. And yes, wrote in the last name, that actually was the twist. Yes, the, the, the sister is not actually there. And the stepmother is actually the dissociative identity of the daughter who was yeah. incarcerated. So well, and the, the only people in the house are the daughter and the dad. Yep. It's yep. the only people who are there. So, yep. Now, there are little hints. The thing that I didn't really get to watch this, I kind of watched bits and pieces of it and, and putting some of it together, but there were little hints of that what was going on. Uh, like that, you see in the trailer here, right? So in the trailer, the part where she, the two sisters are um, uh, brushing the hair in the mirror and they move identically. That's like subtle storytelling hints of what's going on. Which, yeah, there there were like like, like the yeah. the uh, the symbolism. The symbolism right. is very much there, indicating that there is a fracture in what is good in someone's in someone's narrative. Someone here is an unreliable narrative, yeah, yeah. but we don't know specifically who it is, and we know that there's a fracturing mm -hmm. in some sort of perception. It turns out that the fracturing is, of course, in the daughters, which is why I think is beautifully done when she's in the fight with herself and then smashes her own head, her own head against the glass in the medicine cabinet. Yep. And then we see that image. We said when the father comes in and the father realizes what the hell is going on, he goes to the medicine cabinet and he sees all the chaos and he looks and we see the cameras looking out from the medicine cabinet through, through the fractured persona. And so yep. the, way that she, the way that the daughter is essentially viewing everything, everything in the world is fractured around her. This <laughs> The sim what's the symbology? The symbology there. So, it is an absolute absurdist triumph. It, there is a lot of uh, there's a lot of things that are very very important to Korean culture that are examined in this, and I would say are are critical of this as well because the director has a keen awareness of what informs his particular that that particular society. And how that that particular society leads to these events that could have been preventable, but ultimately are ultimately we we allow them to happen. That's what's the most terrifying about this. Not to mention, there's a legitimate fucking ghost in it. The ghost of the sister who died. It took like you, know, you brought it up um, when the aunt has the seizure at the table and she's flipping mm -hmm. out like this. Like I said, they don't they don't they don't spoon feed you this. She was re, uh, reliving Mental through the card. death. of... Take notes. This is how you incorporate a ghost story right. into <laughs> a story about, oh, Jesus Christ, mental And I, it, it took me a second. It was like, you don't realize until the very end of the third act, like, holy shit, the aunt was experiencing what the sister experienced when she was going, which is why she saw her and was going through the same way. She was choking and she was, she was asphyxiating and freaking out. That's what the sister went through. So she was reliving her death experience and it was yeah. like but it doesn't but these things don't drop they drop when they need to drop which is just brilliant brilliant storytelling so the intriguing aspect of this one and i think is really really cool is that the film itself is inspired by an actual korean folktale and um we we talked about uh the inspiration behind films like this before so the film was inspired by a joseon dynasty era folktale entitled Zhangwa hongru jion i think i pronounced that correctly I Maybe. may not have. I'm just kidding. I have no idea. I don't speak Korean. Yeah, the story of Yangwa and and Ongryun and Ongryun, I believe, is how it's pronounced. I may have, if I if I butchered that, I apologize. But um, essentially, the story is about two daughters 
who live a happy life uh, with their father and their mother, and then the and then the mother dies, and then the stepmother, the evil stepmother, comes in, and the stepmother winds up destabilizing everything, and uh, they have kids of their own, and she turns on the she turns on the, the her stepdaughters, winds up killing uh, both of them, and then the father's completely oblivious to all of this. Um, but then the ghosts return and they uh, extract their revenge against the stepmother and their step-siblings who were all in on it and they absolve their father of his guilt and then uh, the father marries again a third woman after the ghosts have their revenge and the daughters are born and they're reincarnated. So I'm becoming the next Eugene of pronunciation. I think I actually got those. I think I uh, did. I, in Eugene's defense, that one time he fucking like was flawless with his pronunciations was the Korean film. So that's true. So there we are. <laughs> but so a um an absolutely beautiful story and I love and that's one of the cool things about the, and if you go back and read the story the story is really really rich and really in depth. And of course, uh when the father remarries a third time, the daughters, the twin daughters that he that are born to him uh from the third wife are the reincarnated uh are basically are his original daughters reincarnated. So every you know, love conquers all. What I love the most about Korean horror, and this goes also true for for Japanese horror, for Chinese horror, and uh, in a sense, Indonesian, Filipino, Eastern culture horror, Eastern culture horror. The difference between Eastern culture and Western culture horror tropes is in the sense that there is always a kind of there's always there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. The optimism that is there that we have to go through the shit in order to get to where we want to be. For there, we have to go through the, the trials and tribulations in order to get to the good ending. And there will always be a good ending, but we have to be willing to go through this experience and deal with these ter- terrible things so we can learn, grow, and become better people and achieve the ending that we want. So even if it's something horrific, like ghosts having to come back and, and seek their own revenge in order to you know bring justice and stuff, stuff of that nature... The idea that the past informs the future, the idea that we must reconcile our past in order to in order to get the futures that we envision for ourselves or to get justice or truth or whatever to bring these things to light. These things are very, very important to Eastern culture. These things aren't so much important to American culture or to, I would say, Western culture, predominantly American, because this film is so beautifully done because... It, it nails that. It nails the difference, and it, it, it kind of reflects that. I look at uh, like American American horror or European or Western Western culture horror, mm-hmm. where essentially we go through the same thing. We go through the shit, and we have the same problems. Recon, you know, re- inability to reconcile our past, inability to recognize our mistakes, inability to. But we go through the same shit. But it's always where we're at is just slightly le- where we wind up at the end is slightly less shitty than where we were. That we there's there's this sense that you can never go home, is the thing in Western culture where things will that we go that, that through the trauma, we will never be able to return to where we were, that we are irrevocably changed by the traumas that that we endure, and that we are in a sense out of control in that respect. We can't control that that, that those traumas inform us, they change us, we are changed forever. We will never get back to the way it was. But you don't see that in Eastern horror. We go through it, we come back better. Or we reattain what we have lost, and we find our balance, and we 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 come back with an appreciation. But we are not damaged in that respect, and I think that right there lies at the heart as to why the fundamental differences between these two aspects. That would be my pass to you. Oh, I'm so, sorry. I was I was lost in the uh, <laughs> the eloquence of your. <laughs> uh. Um. 
again, I need to sit down and watch this movie start to finish without any interruptions, um, so I can really pick up with some of the more nuanced stuff in it. I don't think that uh, I, man, yeah, the ideas and the differences between Eastern and Western style horror. Even if we're talking about like Korean, Japanese, like specifically in the the Asian style horror films, you see very much that. Like, take a look at what's come over, like the Ringu, uh, mm-hmm. I forget what the, the Grudge. Uh, the Grudge. Yeah. Um, those are, oh, yeah, visitors. It's uh, my, this, it's my it's dog. that puppy. He says, hey, hey, play with me. Stop talking to that hairy guy <laughs> on the internet. <laughs> anyway, uh, looking at how, and one of the reasons why I disliked the American adaptations of those films is because, we tried to westernize them and we try to make them well, right you know i was like mm. speaking of the devil and the devil shall oh. appear there he is hey buddy eugene's here good to see you eugene um I got <laughs> joshua Lee's. thanks for coming to jail's ted talk exactly <laughs> <laughs> um yeah the things that i didn't like were the american style influences on those films not that they were terrible i just didn't i didn't like it right for me i appreciate the way that Korean horror films, Japanese horror films, how they when, when they don't use their culture necessarily as like this, we're hitting you over the head with our culture. It's just there, right? It's just there. And the way that it influences their storytelling, I think, is a little bit more subtle and nuanced, like the nuances of their culture that comes through their storytelling. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's because I don't live in that culture and I'm not, you know, I'm not, I haven't been inside of that culture for my entire life. Maybe I just appreciate the way that they're, they weave their narrative uh, in, of their stories throughout their film. Um, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I could be like, well, no, the, the ring was great and the ring was better. No, I don't think so, but whatever. Uh, as far as this film, Tell Two Sisters, hmm. No, 28 absolutely says their culture flows with it. Uh, and maybe it's it, it might be if I were outside of America looking in at American horror film, I could say, well, you know, there's the American culture, which that might be an issue in itself is because we're such an amalgamation of so many different cultures that it's hard to sit there and say what you know where what like true american culture is like, what is it you know i don't know maybe i'm just getting a little too medicine head on everybody but it happens and this is what this road in the last name says you're doing an americanized train to basan and you know it's just gonna suck i this is a tough one because train to basan was great um just like alive uh that was great um Oh, no, Travis Brown, absolutely. Japanese horror film, they're they're amazing. I just don't, I don't know. I don't know what to think of this, right? Americanized Train to Busan. I just don't know what to think about that because ah, it's so tough. It's tough. It's tough because I, I do think it's not going to be as good. And Eugene Hawkins is correct. It was perfect the way it is. There's no way to make it better. There really, there really is no way to make it better. Um, I just think it's a it's an American cash grab. So, mm, yeah, don't do it. Come on, Hollywood, just leave it alone. Agreed. And that's all I have to say. That's uh, all you have to say about that. 
there's just uh, I think that's what that's what this one reflects well, and I'd like that that Eugene brought up Train to Busan. Um, I Road would agree. Last name actually brought it up. Oh, Road to Busan brought up Train to Busan, yeah. and and I think what what ultimately derailed derailed mm. uh, Train to Busan Peninsula. Um, I think the reason that film derailed is because they embraced too much of the Western influence. Okay, um, so the same thing happened. Of, <clears throat> the same thing happened with Twenty Eight Days Later, and then Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Like Twenty Eight Days Later was this. Hey, we made it again. Yeah. 28 Days Later was this real British horror film. And the American, the Americans got a hold of it. Didn't redo it. We just said, hey, let's do a sequel to it. We're going to add in a whole bunch of explosions and whatnot. I'm like, oh, come on, man. (laughs) (laughs) But if you definitely get get the opportunity, this is, I think that uh, a Tale of Two Sisters, and there was an actual, there actually was an American remake to it, if I remember correctly. Oh. Um, God, this thing won so many awards. Really? The film The Uninvited. The Uninvited was essentially the remake of this one, and uh, that had uh, Elizabeth Banks and David Strathairn and uh, Emily Browning in it. All solid actors in their own right, but the the film did not really hit because if that's the American, the, essentially the Americanization of this of this folktale. I like this one because of the the uh, commitment to the source material and the kind of uh, both reflecting on Korean culture and Korean identity politics and the I, and family right. dynamics, right. reflecting on that in the modern age and kind of retelling the story the way uh, in a, to a solid affect, and not to mention capturing the beauty of what makes um, Eastern influ or Eastern Eastern uh, cultured horror some of the best out there. What this is, this is the reason why. Juwan and Ringu were so fucking scary, and it's because they they grab it because they they know what they're talking about in the sense. Right. I think it also comes along the lines of having a, a an established kind of mythology or a culture where these countries have been around for thousands of years, and America just really has yeah. Been that, around I know that where world. I was so, going. Is we don't really have a real established American culture because right. we're still in the you know we're not even three hundred went through three. G seventeen seventy six officially, but you know, um, yeah, golly, I don't. Even, I'm trying to think of how diverse our culture has been, outside of because we, you know, we actively oppress the indigenous cultures. Right, we, mm. you know, we used to fucking jail Navajo for practicing their religion and whatnot. It's like, so, and then, not to mention all the stolen, uh, stolen. Uh, artifacts that were melted down to make fucking coins and whatnot anyway i don't want to get too political um yeah where what is american culture versus what is korean culture like koreans can be like boom here it is this is what you know ah we've got something we've got something that's thousands of years old that we can uh, we can really latch on to UG brings up train also tackles the issues of economic class oh. and parenthood. And that's another thing that, that which is Eastern so much horror, more. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Eastern horror is more willing to look at itself and right. be like, this is what it's like. Not only do we have this problem, but here's specifically why we have this problem and why in, in episodes that we would consider to right. be extreme, like zombies on a train, why these problems exacerbate uh, issues even further when they don't have to. It's like, why do we get into the, why do we get ourselves in these, in these situations? 
because yeah. of because of these preconceptions or these ideas that we have about what we're supposed to be. And so, yeah, that's uh, Squid Game does it. Squid Game does it exactly. Does the exact same thing. So, when it comes to you know, <laughs> wrote another name, how hard is it to kill schoolgirls? Goddamn right, because they overcame the ghost and they defeated it with the lucky frog. They absolutely yep. did. Yep. <laughs> mm. That's funny. <laughs> That's true. We are we are we are a, a country of a hundred different cultures, and trying to find our way through it. You know, this is yeah. you know, this is what it comes down to. So, and at least unlike Australia, that isn't even really that old either. Given you know when it was colonized and when it turned it became what it became, everything there wants to kill them. So everything in Australia, all Australian centered horror, is all about everything out in the environment trying to kill you. Yeah, it's pretty much what it is. They have built in horror there. So, but yeah, I, that's why I love this film. It's an absolute legendary pick. Uh, don't you don't, don't really need to check out the Uninvited unless you want to see the Americanized version of it. Meh. The only time Americanizations of these film of films like this ever I think really worked was The Grudge, the one that came out with Sarah Michelle Gellar and and The Ring, which came out with Naomi Watts. But that's only because Naomi Watts was fantastic, and it's because The Grudge wasn't centered on Sarah Michelle Gellar's, uh, to, but the story in itself was unchanged. Yeah. And the American act, it, it wasn't centric to them, it was centric to the house, which was important. Right. If you make the Americans the center of it, you change the tonality of the picture. They maintained, it's the curse, it's the house, it just happens to have Sarah Michelle Gellar in it. That's it. Right. So, which I really, really liked. No, Tony Regimes is the environment and Mick Taylor. I would argue true. that Mick Taylor is a product of his environment. Product of his, a product <laughs> of the Australian environment. I would agree with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Travis Brown's read, The Loved One shows how the Aussie girls take revenge on people who are being dumped. This is true. This is absolutely true. So uh, my curiosity is this. Given that A Tale of Two Sisters is based upon a an ancient Korean folk tale, and we've seen a lot of stuff, whether it's Japanese or Korean or Indonesian or even European, European horror, Russian horror, African horror, doesn't matter. There are folk tales throughout humanity that have informed many of the horror films that we've watched, whether they were cautionary tales or they were warnings about existing evils or however they may be, whatever the purpose of them is. What is the scariest folk tale, in your opinion? As far as the things that we use to inform our modern day contemporary horror, uh, we, they all have ancient roots. So, in your mind, what is the scariest folktale to have inspired horror in the modern age? Let us know down in the comments below, or of course at weekendhorrorgmail.com, or here in the live chat. Love to hear what y'all think. Absolutely. The age-old uh, tale of the Headless Horseman. Oh, the uh, I've always the one that always that that, that always rings. Horror, by the way, the one that rings for me is and, and Angel Rivera brings up Candyman. And essentially the 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 hook for a hand, the scraping at the door. Yeah. You know, the kids out doing what they're not supposed to be doing. There's a killer on the loose, there's a scraping at the door, they get scared, they run home, and then they find out when they get out of the car, there was a hook, uh, a a disembodied hook, a torn off hook hanging in the door handle of the car. Yeah. That always got me. How like how close you came to, to the horror, but you never knew it. It's kinda like that's what's that's what's scary for me about like being out of the ocean. It's like, I can go in the ocean, but I don't go too far into the ocean. Because the further you go into the ocean, the more there is that you're, you're not, not aware of. We're not supposed to be there, okay? <laughs> we're, we're not supposed to be out there. So, all right. Everything so. in the ocean is better equipped to handle the ocean than we are. Even the birds who fly <laughs> over the ocean are better equipped than we are. Yeah, we're pretty. We're pretty awful. It's like I'm, yeah, I'm right. a swim. I'm a swim. Think it's about like, all no, the. Think about all the. Do the backstroke. 
Okay, we'll do the doggy paddle, do the butterfly. It's like something else, some other animal that's better equipped at swimming. That's what we have to mimic. It was my it was my first time really diving. My first time ever really diving when I realized when I was down under, under the water and I was looking around at the abyss that extended out beyond the shore as far as yeah. just a wall, a wall of just blue that was, there was no depth to. And I'm looking down, there's the coral reef and it just descends into infinity and I was kind of like, we are so not equipped to be here. Yeah. How do people just do this? <laughs> just... There's, a, there's a point in the in diving where if you go too far deep, you can't tell which way is which way up, is up. down, yeah. left, right. So, yeah. Got to watch the bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, man. So, uh, but definitely let us know down in the live chat or uh, definitely down in the comments below or weekendhorror.gmail.com. What is your, what is the scariest folk tale in your opinion? Let us know. So, it is trivia time. I guess we're going to figure out what to do with that one day. Wait, um, hang on a second. Wait, just a second. Oh, did you actually, do you have something queued up? No, just chit-chat for a second. Chit-chat. Okay, so for today's trivia question, we're going to be giving away another mystery item from the Week in Horror Store. Never know what it could be, because there's a mystery items. When it's a mystery item, people tend to be uh, tend to be kind of excited about it, because they never know what they're going to get. Um, Joshua Lee brings up Wendigos. Seem pretty scary. The possibility of punishment for doing something wrong. Oh, gotcha, yeah. Wendigos are good. Oh man, I hope we get to shoot our movie. Uh, it's not a Wendigo movie. Just clarifying, it's not kind a of, Wendigo, but it is, it is an Indigenous American legend. Uh, but hopefully one day. So, um, but the first person to get the correct answer in the live chat for uh, for the trivia question tonight will win a mystery item from the Weekend Horror Store. And are you bringing up the live chat, live chat, or should I? Uh, I, I have it. it up right now. Oh, okay, fantastic. Wait, let me All right, the answer. So, whenever you're ready, as a matter of fact, you know what I'll do is I will. I know I have, yeah, yeah. The, I have the notification here somewhere. Oh, there it is. Okay, cool. I got to turn the volume down. All right, cool. And I have the live chat pulled up myself as well. So, whenever you're ready, give me the horror question. First person to get this answer ready, against or correct in the live chat, wins the mystery item from the Weekend Horror Store. Get those Google fingers ready. Whenever you uh, take it away, Johnny. All right, so. What I want to know, which entry is chronologically first in the Puppet Master franchise? That's which entry is chronologically first in the Puppet Master franchise? First one in the live chat to get that correct answer wins a mystery item from the Week in Horror Store. Fred Edge says the bottom one. <laughs> Looking for a title. Looking for a title. Travis Brown. Correct. Travis Brown gets it with yeah. a retro. Oh, wait. Wait. Well, Denova was there as well. Ooh. Now I have Denova. Okay, hang on a second. I have the live chat up. I have Denova first. Yeah. I Oh, sorry about that, Travis Brown. Denova eked it in just before you with retro. Yes, it was retro Puppet Master. Sorry about that. I uh, apologize. Uh, Denova, didn't mean to overlook you because those were coming through so quickly. Uh, retro Puppet Master is correct. Good job, uh, Denova. Travis Brown was right behind him with Retro Puppet Master. Uh, Freddie says, I don't know what entry you use. Oh, just the, the title, title of the film. Angel Rivera, Retro Puppet Master. Leanne, Retro Puppet Master. Denova on my screen. Yep, it was Denova. Followed by the third. Yep, absolutely. All right, so let me get make sure I got that down. And it was Denova. 28. And we will get that printed out and shipped to you 
ASAP. Congratulations, Genova. It was Retro Puppet Master. Yay! Yay! Did you want to take it? Do you want me to? I was. I can do it. I can do it. I'm <laughs> uh, sorry. I was doing another thing. I was trying to get us a sound effect, but <coughs> excuse me, it didn't work. All right. My goodness, this is a fun one today. Even though I got half of it. Uh, and that will bring another episode of Weekend Horror to a close. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. Join us next week when we look back into the 80s West German horror Night Kill. The, what is that? Gosh. Gallo. The Gallo Slasher, Terror at the Opera, London Underground Horror in Creep, and the 50s creature feature Tarantula. For more horror fun, be sure to follow us on all the socials for the Dave Splatter, which is your horror, uh, your daily horror film recommendation. Remember, we're constantly being stalked by the cruelest of faceless slashers, the algorithm. And you can help us defeat it by dropping a comment, liking, subscribing, and smashing that notification bell like the true third act final girl. Wow. Wow, that could be taken so many different ways. A <laughs> uh, quick reminder that Joshua Olson does all of our amazing artwork for the show, and his designs are incredible, so make sure you hit up the store at www.batsamurai.store. A massive shout-out to all of our amazing patrons who continue to help us make Weekend Horror the incredible success it has become. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are awesome. And if you would like and are able to support the production, you can do so by joining and enjoying the tasty benefits of one of our many patron tiers. we got great ones there. But if Patreon is not your favorite stalking method, you can always support us directly through our PayPal. Links to everything, including our Discord community, where you can hang out with us, are in the description below. And reminder, the goal is horror, sorry, the goal is global horror domination and can't do it without you, our amazing audience. So pretty please. With the hopes and dreams of indie horror lovers everywhere on top, go share the absolute fuck out of our little show. Thank you all for being the greatest audience a podcast could ever have. I'm some fat guy. I'm JL. Aaron's not here, unfortunately. I hope you feel better, Aaron. Uh, we'll see you. That's the gibberish. That's the gibberish version. <laughs> we'll see you next week. And as always, stay scared. And uh, our hearts got to be afraid. Uh, sorry to hear about your daughter being in the hospital. We hope she's doing better. I uh, hope she gets better soon. Yeah. Um, and glad that we could be here to help cheer you up a little bit. I know things are tough. So, but definitely all the best from all of us yes. to you and to your little one. Definitely. So, like, like the man said, stay, oh, I actually got that right. Like the man said, stay scared. <laughs> <laughs> I did that correctly. The right yeah, direction. The oh, shit. Oh, fail. <laughs> Ooh. Film Noir. The other one's not working. I admit, it's kind of cool. I love it. <laughs>